Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to episode 35 of the Channel Journeys podcast. This is Rob Spee, your host and founder of Channel Journeys, where I'm on a mission to share my passion for the channel and my quest for continuous learning. I do that through this podcast. And today we have a podcast special for you. Two guests. Trisha Atchison is the worldwide director of channel marketing and enablement at Citrix. Along with Trisha, I have David Pereira, founder and president of GetLift, a full-service B2B marketing agency. I met David out at Rod Bapti's Channel Focus event earlier this year. We got talking about the work that he's doing with Citrix, how they're improving their channel marketing effectiveness, and have created an award-winning channel program. A big challenge we face in the channel, especially in channel marketing, is partner engagement and follow-through with our marketing programs. You're going to get a lot of great tips in this episode that you can use to increase your partner engagement and channel marketing return on investment. So let's go ahead and get started with Trisha and David. Here we go. Hey, good morning, Trisha and David. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Excellent. So this is a first, another channel journey's first. We're doing a twofer, a double header with two guests on the show. Never done this before. So I have Trisha and David, Trisha from Citrix, David. You're with GitLift, your company. Maybe we can just do a quick introduction of what you guys are doing. So, Tricia, why don't we start with you and what you're doing over at Citrix? Sure. So, um, great to be here. And at Citrix, I am responsible for worldwide partner enablement and partner marketing. And I actually also work on Microsoft business development. So, I have my hands in a few things, but closely aligned and working with our partner community. Okay, great. Yeah, you do have your hands full. And David, give us a, a quick intro. Sure. David Pereira, I'm CEO at GetLift Agency. We're an agency that works with a lot of different channel vendors. We work with a few of the partners as well, so some of the MSPs, but really our focus is on helping vendors with their two-partner and through-partner uh, communication. Right. And Citrix is one of our one of our large. Yeah, partners. which is why I have you both on the show. And David, you and I met at one of the trade shows recently, and you were telling me about the project with Citrix. Sounded great. So I thought, well, why not get you both on the show to tell our listeners about it? And very eager to jump into this and find out some of the challenges you were facing, Tricia, with your partner marketing and enablement, and and why you decided to to go down a different path, and how that led to actually a, a big award, an award-winning program, which is always fun to talk about. So we'll chat about that and David, get your perspectives as well. So Tricia, to start off, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Citrix. I think your motto is future of work. Is that right? It is. It is. And one of the things that is to me kind of fun about Citrix, right, is it's all about you know being able to work anywhere, anytime, on any device. And for the day and age that we're in, I think that is like the perfect thing, right? Because we're always working and we're kind of all over the map. So yeah, Citrix is doing some really interesting things in terms of where we're going um, from a cloud perspective and then what we're doing with the workspace with intelligence. Yeah, we really are working everywhere. I'm working from home right now. Sometimes I'm in the office, sometimes on vacation, which is probably not a great thing to be working on vacation, but we all have those moments. So how about your channel? What does your channel, your partner ecosystem look like? 
So much probably like many vendors, right? We have an ecosystem of a variety of types of partners. Our nomenclature is a little bit different than maybe some of the traditional names that you would hear, but it aligns to, you know, partners like solution providers and MSPs and GSIs. And so, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag of partners. And I think what you're starting to see in everybody's ecosystem is that there is overlap, right, in terms of how these partners think about their business, how they're going to market, the role that services plays, you know, with their business. And so it's an interesting time, I think, to be a partner or to be a vendor working with partners because that ecosystem really is ever-changing and everybody wants to add value and everybody wants to do the right thing for their customers. And so we're like a lot of people, right? We have different routes to market and we work through, you know, what is the best alignment for how our partners are going to market and what can we do to help them be successful? Yeah, I think what you're referring to is it, today, it's very hard to put partners in certain lanes, you know, whether they're a, are you a service partner or a, re, a reseller or a referral partner or whatever. There's, there's so much blending today and partners want to just do whatever it takes to add value and service that customer. Agreed. And I think what's probably hard sometimes for partners, right, is as a vendor, we like people to fit kind of in the bucket or a lane or, you know, a certain box to say like, hey, this is how you go to market and here are the programs that fit with you. And that is getting harder, right? Because you see how these business models are evolving. And I agree, right? You want partners want to be successful and you want to sort of enable them to be successful and maybe not be so hung up on which lane they're sitting in because those lanes are really blurry now. They are. Yeah, it's hard to put labels on them. So in your title, Partner Marketing and Enablement, what does enablement mean for you and in, in your role? Because we throw out enablement, but it means a lot of different things to different people. Yeah. So for my role, it actually takes on a few different things. So one piece of it is what you would think of as kind of traditional partner enablement, right? Like how are we providing enablement to our partners, both from a sales and technical perspective to make them successful in selling Citrix products. So that is kind of what you would normally think of enablement and we're responsible for that. The other kind of pieces that play into that is we also own the enablement of our partner account managers and really making sure that they're enabled on our solutions and our programs and the things that we're doing with our partner community so that they can be successful in working with our partners. And then the other piece that that kind of takes on is also from an enablement standpoint with marketing. So this is an area where I think it's really important, but I don't know that vendors always hit the mark on this, but we've put a lot of effort into enabling our partners on the marketing side. So we do a monthly webinar for them. We do a marketing track at our partner summit. Even you know some of the programs we're doing, we're trying to make them more marketing savvy and enable them from a marketing standpoint. So for me, enablement is actually, and I agree that term gets kind of tossed around, but it is a big bucket for us and it takes on a lot of different pieces. And there's a lot of different stakeholders internally that we work with to be successful to deliver that enablement to our partners. I love that you mentioned the enablement of the partner managers as well, because that's something I don't think many companies put enough attention on and you it's hard to find an owner for that it's 
well, you're the channel manager, you're the partner manager, you know, you're responsible for your own development. But I like that you guys are putting a focus on that. Are there any particular things that you do in that area? So I would say we're actually pretty structured. And that was one of the things that was interesting to me as I took this role is we've done a couple of things. So we do kind of what you would think of as like your monthly webinar. And, you know, we talk about programs and product launches and, you know, whatever's going on, right? We make sure that they have the 411 on that, right? So that they're prepared as they head into working with their partners. The other thing we did this year is as part of our sales summit, we had our partner account manager stay an extra day. And we did a very specific training with them, which I'm sure was a little tiresome right after being at the sales summit all week. But what was interesting about that training is it wasn't just about like, you know, here's the incentive program or, you know, here's whatever, you know, program we're rolling out. But it was really about trying to enhance their skills to help them be, I guess you would say, a little more business savvy in terms of how they work with their partners. Meaning that I think if you look at kind of the role of a partner account manager, that as well as everything else, right, has evolved over time. And used to, I think you sort of painted these people in a light of, hey, you're like this relationship manager that you go in and just work with the partner and make sure that, you know, like you're friendly and that they like you and they like you as a vendor, right? And take them to lunch and... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Now, I, I think that role has evolved a lot. And the expectation, right, is that you are more of a business manager, right? You're managing the business with the partner. So you know what your revenue target is. You know what kind of pipeline you need to get there. You understand what programs you're running that are contributing to your pipeline. You're looking at what they're registering for deal registration, right? Like you're much more into the business. And you're able to, I'll say forecast, right, what you expect and what is coming and you really tied into the numbers. And so part of the training we did in January was really tied to not only making sure they had, you know, the the tools and the things that they need to be successful, but also kind of upping their skills in terms of how they approach the partner and how they think of building, you know, their business plan with their marketing plan and how they're really going to win with this partner, right? So it's interesting to see because even in my last role, we started more on this journey of you are a business owner and you need to be really tied into the business of what's going on with your partner. I love that. I love that. So I didn't plan on talking about enablement, but that I just love what you're doing. That's so important. And for listeners in your company, think about how you develop your channel managers. That's some great advice to, to look at. All right. So the main thing I wanted to talk to you about Trisha and David, is the channel marketing and your new channel marketing program. So maybe we can go back in time and, and why did you think that you needed a new program in the first place? What were some of the, maybe some of the pains you were facing and how you went about analyzing your situation? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things. So when you think about working with partners and building a marketing plan, right? One of the things we started to look at is what is like everybody wants pipeline, right? Like that's like the name of the game. So like what is the fastest route to get to creating pipeline? And really, I would say to no fault of the vendor or of the partners, but I think people are kind of just in this rut of like, these are the activities we do. And this is, you know, we hope that this works out and that we get something for it. And, you know, vendors are investing a lot of money from an MDF perspective. And so as we started to look at 
the money we were investing and trying to measure the results we were getting for the activities, we started to think about, is there maybe a more prescriptive way that we could work with some of our partners to, I'll just say, drive better results, right? And so there's a lot of complexity, right, in these MDF programs and, you know, partners have different levels of marketing, I'll say savviness, right? So some partners, I'll say, are better at marketing than even the vendors are. And then you have some partners who have a deep desire to do really good marketing, but they don't know how or they don't have the infrastructure to do it. And so we really started looking at, you know, was there a way where we could perhaps be more prescriptive, but give the partners the tools that they needed. So, you know, content and infrastructure, give them the tools that they needed to really go build an integrated marketing plan, which would include not only doing kind of the traditional partner marketing around things like events, but add that digital element and help them kind of go up to top of funnel to generate some interest and generate better leads to drive their overall pipeline and ultimately revenue. So, As you're looking at your channel, you mentioned some partners have very good marketing skills, but all of us in the channel, it's the big channel challenge we have is that most partners don't. What does your partner ecosystem look like in terms of the the marketing talent that you had in your partner ecosystem? So I would say it's probably much like anywhere I've worked before I came to Citrix and probably pretty much what everybody would see, right? So you have a set of partners that are larger in just in terms of overall size of company and they tend to have a bit more marketing infrastructure because of their size, because of the investment they can make. And so those partners really are just looking to build the integrated plan with you and they're looking for you to help provide content and usually some level of funding, but they really have the engine and the mechanism to do that. And we have a set of those partners. And then you have a set of partners who are super bought into you as a vendor, oftentimes very engaged, and they, they are willing to lead with you. And they recognize that marketing is important, but they may be, and they may have pieces of it, right? They may have a marketing director. They may have like a really strong website. Like there may be pieces that they have, but they may not have the ability to execute all of the elements that you want to do when you do more of an integrated plan. And then you have a set of partners who I would say are much more opportunistic and they may not be quite ready to do a bigger integrated plan. They're just trying to get some traction with what they're doing with you as a vendor. And so, you know, that takes on a little bit different life of its own as well. But those tend to be, you know, smaller programs, less investment, a little more grassroots in terms of how they go to market. So your primary driver for wanting to create a new channel marketing program was just to increase the ROI of your marketing investments. Is that Does that pretty much sum it up? I would say, yes, to increase our ROI. And I would say the other piece of it really is to get visibility. So I, this is kind of my like running joke with people in corporate marketing is, you know, if you try to measure everything with partner the same as you do direct marketing, like it doesn't work, right? Because you lose visibility 
as you go work with partners. And that's like the beauty of it as well, right? As you have this ecosystem that is executing on your behalf and, you know, you want to make sure that you're giving them the ability to do the best that they can with what you want to do with them, but you have to be okay with losing some of that visibility. So part of what we thought about as we were thinking about this program is, is there a piece of this right on the metric side that we can also build into this program so we get a little more visibility into not only, you know, what pipeline we've generated, but like what's working and what's not working and where else could we be helping the partners in terms of, you know, driving their marketing. Yeah. Visibility is a big one and has been for the probably the life of marketing, channel marketing or field marketing, whatever, getting that the analytics, the numbers on on how well your programs are doing. So yeah, I, I want to dive into that one probably a little bit later. David, from your perspective, when you started working with Citrix, did you notice anything in particular about the challenges that Citrix was facing or or what they wanted to accomplish? I don't think there was anything unique about the challenges themselves. I, th- I think they were kind of, as, as Trisha touched on, the same sort of challenges that most IT vendors face, right? So you've got a lot of channel partners who don't have sophisticated marketing or even a dedicated marketer within the team. So you need to do some segmentation there. There's definitely always an awareness issue of your programs. I mean, one of the key things, obviously, is that most MSPs or VARs or SIs, they're not exclusive to you. And they sell many other product lines, right? So I've seen different stats, but it seems like everyone seems to agree that most partners have anywhere between 10 and 20 vendors, and they're really kind of married to three to five of them. And so you're always competing for mindshare with other vendors. So you're you're always competing for that mindshare to get partners to actually realize that you've got a program and then to get them to execute it. So I think, again, all that is standard across the board. I don't think that was unique, Citrix. But what I think they did to try and combat that was fairly unique. Yeah, good. Trisha, so the program that you developed, it's called Kickstart. Is that right? Correct. So the Kickstart program... What does it entail? What did you guys build with David? So um, as we started to think about this program, right, and I'm like a logical person, so I like kind of how we broke this down. We kind of looked at it, I'll say, in four buckets. So the first one was around content. And even if you don't use some of the other elements, right, having really good content for our partners to use to me is like content is king, right? So that was like the foundation of making sure that as we set out to do this program, we had to have the right content. The next piece was around planning. So while that one always seems obvious, I find that that is one of the biggest missed steps in terms of (laughs) going to do something. And I'm always like, what's the plan? Like, how do we build the plan? So the planning piece was important because it really, that's where you have like that conversation with the partner and you start to understand their business and you look at who you're targeting, right? Because some of our partners are really savvy, like in a particular industry or a particular market. And you want to be fully aware of all of that, right, as you start to build this plan. So the planning piece was another really key element. Are you talking, Tricia, about planning a individual campaign or more that broader planning that you would do kind of as part of your business planning of your overall objectives for the year and how you're going to get there or both? So I was going to say, to me, it's actually both. I have a lot of conversations with both partners and with our partner account managers around business planning, because I think if you have a solid business plan and you spend the time, 
to put something together, I think it just makes your marketing that much more effective. And so to me, it's a little bit of both. So it is spending the time on the business plan and understanding the partner's business. And then it is really mapping out for ideally like a six month marketing plan where you're going deep into that to really plan out what you're going to target for the next six months. Okay, great. So we got content and planning. What's number three? Number three is budget. So everybody's always about the money. But, you know, I think what happens kind of to David's point, right, is that you have these partners that are working with a lot of vendors and sometimes we're almost competing priorities, right? And so getting Mindshare and getting them to understand your programs, like that's a heavy lift for them. And so coming in and like, what is your MDF program and how do I get funding and what, you know, like what hoops do I have to jump through to be able to do this? I think that trying to simplify like how you fund these programs is also important. So we really looked at like, how can we just make this much easier? And instead of having to submit a bunch of activities, like, hey, I want to do this and that, like if you build out this integrated plan, then we could say, right, we're going to fund that integrated plan. So the budget, the budget to me is always a little bit tricky business just because I think it's part of what makes partners a little crazy. <laughs> and so so the, the budget is, is kind of the next piece, the money. So do you fund a plan which could be a series of campaigns as opposed to having submit every single individual activity? Correct. Very cool. Yeah, that's always such a big stumbling block. And do you require co-investment by the partner? You know, that's, there are mixed thoughts on that one on whether partners need to put some skin in the game. So for this program, we didn't. And I, th- it is that, that one is actually quite polarizing because I work with different folks that are like, oh, absolutely, you know, partners should put in 50%. I've done it both ways. What I found, not so much in this role, but in previous roles, what I found was oftentimes the partners then would go try to find another vendor to share. So you would do, you know, like a three-way story kind of thing instead of just you and that partner. So I could probably argue it either way, but I think for this program, because it was a new program and because we wanted to really see if we could prove out what we thought the opportunity was, we were willing to invest in the partner and not require them to invest. Okay, very good. All right, number four. Number four. So the last piece really was around the resource, right? So, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, but partners, right, are at different degrees in terms of where they are from a marketing infrastructure And what we did with this program to help kind of move that along, and not everybody took advantage of this, but what we did with this program was we offered agency support. Mm -hmm. So in being able to execute, right? So as part of, you know, social and content syndication and the different elements, we offered the ability for the agency to execute on the partner's behalf. And not only did that help from an execution standpoint, but it also gives us more trackability because we're working like through their system. So, and for a set of partners who need the help, that was actually really well received by them. I bet. Yeah. With so many partners not having any of that marketing talent to be able to lean on an agency. And David, is that where you get back involved? Is, is GitLift the agency or are there other agencies involved as well? There are others. We are working with a couple of the partners, but really our agency focus is more working with with the Citrixes of the world of the, of the vendors. I do like I do like working with a couple of partners because it gives us a view on both sides. 
it, it's one thing to develop something in the ivory tower. It's another thing to try and make it work for the partner and for their end audience. But we do like working with MSPs for that purpose, just to see kind of where programs make sense and do we need to kind of take some feedback and, and improve upon it. But generally, we tend to focus more on the uh, on the vendors. Okay, good. So. Trisha, you mentioned these four buckets. So I've got content, planning, budget, and resource. What about enablement and how that fits in? Is that a separate budget or does, how does that tie into the Kickstart program? Well, so it's kind of, I'll say twofold on that. So one was folding this into, so, you know, part of the planning, right, is a bit of the enablement piece. And I, I think that that piece is really, really important. I would say, you know, maybe if we talk about lessons learned, I would say there's probably more we could do around that. But, you know, as you're doing the planning, part of that conversation was around sort of enabling the partner on what this program is and what it mm-hmm. looks like. I think the other piece that we worked on and did a pretty good job was around enabling our partner account managers, right? So making sure that Obviously, our, you know, our partner marketing managers understood the program and knew how to sit with our partners and work with them on it. But because of how your PAMs work with these partners, right, super important that they're educated on the program and that they know how this fits into what they're trying to do with the partners. So we did spend some time working with our account managers to make sure that they knew what this program was, who should participate, what the funding looked like. And that step is super important, right? Because these guys are in with these partners day in and day out and need to actually be able to articulate the program for them. Yeah. So I'm sure you have thousands of partners. How do you decide who gets into the program? So that's a good question. And I would say, you know, kind of initially, probably our folks went back to the partners that they were used to Mm -hmm. working with. So, you know, if we normally spend you know, MDF with a certain partner, they're like, hey, like you want to participate in this program. One of the things we've been working on over the last couple months is looking at more of a partner profile of what are the ideal characteristics of a partner that would participate in this program, right? Because there are some things like, you know, having a marketing manager and having some aptitude around marketing that become important because if if there's nobody to kind of look after this and shepherd this within the partner, it becomes a lot harder to get the program executed and to kind of continue like take the leads and get them to their sales team and things like that. And so we've worked on that a little bit in terms of going back and looking at, you know, are they you know, certified in the solutions that they want to focus on? Do they have a marketing manager that can shepherd through the process? Are they a certain level in our program so they would warrant having the investment? You know, going back and looking at those kind of key elements to make sure that we're targeting the right partners. Because I think if the partner is maybe too small or doesn't have a way to catch the leads or you know, doesn't value marketing. Like there's some pieces in there that, you know, there's some ownership on the partner side too, because this is definitely an investment in their business and driving pipeline. And so you need to make sure that you know what that profile of that partner looks like before you head in there to try to execute something. Yeah. How did you come up with the name of the Kickstart program? So, you know what? I don't know how. I think because they were trying to like Kickstart, right? I don't know exactly how the name came about. But interestingly enough, our channel leader, like our overall worldwide channel leader, he is, which is interesting, right? Because, you know, usually 
I don't know, usually a lot of your channel leaders are not as hung up on the marketing piece, but it was a bit of his vision that really said, you know, we need to be doing better things with our MDF. And I think if we were more prescriptive around demand gen with our partners, we could yield better results. And so that's really kind of the the mastermind behind this is our leader coming to us and saying, you know, we should be looking at this because just, you know, continually funding one-off events and funding whatever, you know, SDF or MDF requests that you get, maybe there's a better way to do this. And so I think Kickstart is actually kind of a fun name because it does kind of play into what we're trying to do. And I love programs like this because they kind of take on a life of their own. So now anytime anybody's talking about demand generation, they call it Kickstart. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> like now it has, its own, like it has its own following. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, it is. It's great to have something like that to rally around. When did you guys actually launch the program? So the program was launched last year, I would say in the kind of this, probably in this time frame, right? Kind of the Q3-ish time frame. And that was, I say, I would say kind of get the first phase out the door. The second, what I would call kind of the second phase, which has been the last six months has been really once we had the content and we started engaging with partners and, you know, driving the execution, the last six months, in addition to driving execution and still working with some of the partners to launch the program, we've also been really focused on the lead management process and how we're tracking that in our systems. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, right? Like, it's not a like, hey, just do it like how you do in direct marketing or field marketing. And so, We've had some work around, you know, building out what that process is. We do want to align to what we do from a corporate standpoint, right? So that we're using, you know, the same language and the same process in terms of, you know, making sure that if we're talking about something, we're, we're aligned in terms of how we're looking at it and how we're thinking about it. And, you know, that process is not super easy in terms of building out the lead management process and really starting to track the leads. And there are some nuances when you're doing that with partners, right? Because some of them are a little hesitant for things to go in your system. And some of them, it takes a little while to you know, see results from running a program like this. So that has definitely been a bit of a journey in terms of, you know, working through that process. But I think we're starting to get to kind of the other side of that and starting to see that, you know, folks are generating pipeline and we're starting to see results from that. Mm -hmm. Good. So since rolling it out, what have you learned? Are there any big lessons or anything that you needed to tweak kind of once you rolled it out and didn't go quite the way you expected? (laughs) There's always lessons learned, right? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so I would say a couple of things. So one is I think that building that partner profile of kind of who is the ideal candidate to participate, that to me is really important. And I think that if you can do that, right, it probably helps you in terms of having the best outcome because you're doing the program with people that are well positioned to take advantage of it. So I feel like we worked quickly to get the program out, but that maybe I would back up a little bit and just say like, let's make sure we take the time to look at who is the ideal partner that would participate in this. And it may, you may find, right, that it's a smaller set than you want or 
it looks a little different than you thought. And I think that's okay because you, you're trying to drive um, impact and results, right? So mm-hmm. I would say that that's one of the lessons learned. I think the other thing that is interesting to look at is the agency piece, right? And so, you know, David even referenced like he likes to, you know, drive the execution with a couple of partners so he can see, you know, is the content resonating and how is this program working and, you know, what it looks like and doing, going through the process of picking agencies to drive this program, right? That is also a heavy lift. And, you know, that takes time and you want to make sure that you understand the requirements of what you're looking for. Because part of what we've seen with this program is there, in some cases, there's sort of a lead follow-up process that not all partners are set up to do, right? So they may not have, they may not have an inside sales team or they may not have the infrastructure to track that. And so if you need the agency to do that for you, that is possibly a different skill set that you would need from your agency and not all agencies have that. So mm-hmm. you have to like spend time to really understand like what are the elements of, you know, what you need from your agency and then making sure that the agency is a good fit with you. So that I think would probably also be, you know, one of the things that we've learned. And then I think, you know, understanding the metrics and the timing on those. So People are funny to me because they're like, hey, like you launched that program on Tuesday. Like, when will we see pipeline? I'm like, okay, people, like that is not quite how that works. Like it's Friday, right? Like you're not going to have it that fast. And so knowing how to set those expectations and sort of educate people on what the process looks like and the time that it takes to get to results and then how you're going to track those. Because I think both from a vendor standpoint and a partner standpoint, you know, we're all in this right to generate pipeline and to ultimately drive revenue. And if you if you don't really understand how the metrics work and, and the partner doesn't understand how that plays into what their requirements are, even if the agency can provide that information back, there's some handoff at some point, right, where people have to be following up or making a phone call or visiting a customer or something. And so I think you want to be really clear as part of, you know, selecting the partner that they understand what their role is in the process and what they're going to be expected to do. Because while we do do a lot of the heavy lifting and we have the agency execute at some point, right, there has to be that tie back into the partner where they're nurturing this customer and, you know, bringing them along. So like with any program, right, you learn along the way and, you know, you take that input so that you can make it better as you evolve the program. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you haven't been running it that long, really, and and these things take time, but any early indicators of, of key benefits that you're seeing since launching? I would say a couple of things. So one, as you mentioned, the award that we got from Serious Decisions. And one of the things I really like about that award is that it just validates, right, that we're on the right path in terms of where we're going with this program and how we're trying to engage with our partners. And, you know, being able to provide a more prescriptive model and have agency support and really show up to, I think, showing up to the partner a little more buttoned up in terms of, I used to always joke when we would go like years ago, we would go meet with partners and they'd be like, well, what do you want to do? Like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Right. (laughs) And that's like a kind of a crazy conversation. And so, you know, I think it, it has Citrix showing up in a really great light, right. To show up with talking about this program and the opportunity for the partner. So that part I think is nice. We are 
with the lead management process starting to see where we can track the leads through the system and starting to see some pipeline come from that. So that to me is goodness, of course, in terms of being able to validate that you're investing these dollars and getting something back for it. And then I think just the other piece of, you know, we've launched probably I don't know, 50 or 60 of these digital programs with partners over the course of the last year. And, you know, even if you can't like track that down to the penny, I think as you start to look at how you're working with that partner and trying to drive your relevance with them and ultimately watching their revenue grow, right? That's, that's like where you want to be. And so, you know, I think early signs of that, we're starting to see some of that, which is good, right? But to your point, these programs take time and you know, any kind of demand gen you do, right? It's around the cadence and the execution. And, you know, you have to be at it for a while. It's not something that just happens overnight. No, it doesn't. You've talked several times about, you know, metrics and trying to track things. And one of your goals was visibility. Are, are you making progress on that front? I feel like we are, right? Because when you have that agency model, they take on, I'll say, kind of the heavy lift on that. And they're on the hook to provide that information back to you. So we get dashboards, regular dashboards back from the agencies that we work with so that we can see the progress that we're making. And that piece is super helpful, right? Because, you know, most of the programs I've done in my career, right? You're like, hey, Mr. Partner, like, could I see like what happened with this program, right? And so you're, you know, getting an email or writing it down on your paper or, you know, whatever to try and get those metrics back. And while I will say probably, you know, MDF systems do ask for, you know, proof of performance and, you know, sometimes ask people to put stuff in the system, I've never found that to be an overly effective way to really track what you're getting for that. Ideally, right, you want to be able to match it up to like your deal reg or the revenue or, you know, something, right? And so having, Having the model with the agencies definitely helps that process along. Do you have a PRM for tracking that or are you doing it in your CRM? We do not have a PRM for tracking that. So yes, we have to do it through the CRM in terms of what that, in terms of how we track that back through aligning the leads to the marketing code. Right, right. Okay, good. Well, we've got a few minutes left, Trisha. I always love to jump into the personal side and, and learn a little bit more about my guest's channel journey. And I was looking at your background. You've been in channel marketing for quite a while and have worked for some really big, well-known companies, Veritas, Symantec, CA, Citrix. How did you get down this path in the first place? So, you know, I have been in channel a long time. And I always, when I interview people, I tell them, I'm like, these are the best jobs on the planet. Like if you want to be in, you know, marketing or enablement, like the partner side is the best side. So when I graduated from college, I worked for a small software company for five years and I kind of did everything. Like I wrote press releases and newsletters and we had partners and we did trainings and stuff with them. And then I got my job at Seagate Software, which became Veritas. And I actually started in more of a general marketing role with them. And there was a lady who was responsible for what we called the LARs, which are, you know, the the large account resellers. So the CDWs and the insights. Mm -hmm. And she left the company. And my boss said, Hey, like, I need you to work on this for a minute till I can hire somebody for that role. So I was like, okay, like, I'm happy to help. Right. So I started working on it. And, you know, a few weeks later, she came back to me and she said, you're doing a really good job on like working with these partners. Like, I'm just going to leave you in this role. And I was like, okay. Like I had no idea. Right. And, <laughs> but you know what, that, and that role, like I tell people all the time, that was one of the most fun 
roles I was in. I had three account managers and I had 15 accounts and I had no idea like all this stuff was due for catalogs. So that tells you how old I am, right? And all this stuff was due and I had no idea what was going on and I had great account managers and I loved that role. And I kind of from there, it just kind of took off. And over time, I got more responsibility with different routes to market. I went from geo job to a global job. And so it's been a great journey for me. Like I love working with partners and I love being in the channel. And I've been really fortunate with some of the opportunities that I've had over the last few years. What do you look for when you're hiring folks to come in? And you know, you got into it by accident, which happens, I think, to a lot of us in the channel. I signed up for a job and I didn't even really know what, what channel meant when I signed up for it, but I knew it sounded fun. So I jumped into it. What do you look for in people? You know, is it experience, personality? What characteristics are you looking for in talent that you think they'll be a good fit? So I always say to people when I am looking to hire somebody, I think the people that do the best in these roles are people who some of it is personality, right? Because you have to like like to work with people and partners. But I think people who have the ability to think strategically, but also know how to execute. And what I mean by that is, you know, in most of these jobs, like particularly if you're working, like if you're building a plan with a partner, you have to know, like you have to understand their business and you have to understand the strategy. And then you build that plan, but you also end up kind of executing it, right? And so... I have found over the years that the people who know how to do both of those pieces tend to do really, really well in these roles. And, you know, I, because I've done so many of these roles, I say to my team all the time, like when I'm asking you to do something, like I've done this, like I've done partner summits since 1997, right? Like I know what I'm asking you to do because I've done you know, the work and I've, you know, I've built the plans with the partners and I've met with the partners. And so I always find if you have kind of those two elements and you're like, you're willing to work hard, right? Because we work hard. I mean, everybody works hard, hopefully, mm-hmm. but you hard in these roles, right? And you're usually juggling a lot of different partners or different programs. And so that to me is what I have found over time. Like the people who have been the best that have worked for me tend to be the people who can do those two things well. Yeah, I agree completely. That being able to, to think about strategy, talk business, do business planning, but then jump in and execute. You got to be able to do both. Hey, Rob, if I, if I can layer in on that, I would add the element of empathy. And I think Trisha kind of touched upon that because it, it can come with experience. But I do think you're, you, you want to find people who, who can demonstrate empathy in their previous roles because working with channel partners is a different beast. And if you're used to corporate marketing and that's kind of your universe, if you're not able to sort of understand how a channel partner works, how they operate, a lot of these are small business owners. The ones who have not grown that large yet are, are still small business owners and that's how they think. And you have to kind of be able to put yourself in their shoes and be willing to go sit with them for a day and understand their world, understand how they sell, how they market, all that stuff. So I don't think it applies just to channel roles. I think that applies to many marketing and sales roles. But when I've asked this similar question to others, I'm starting to hear more and more of the word empathy. And, and I fully agree with it. Yeah, I think you're right, David. And if you find someone who's actually been a partner, has worked for a partner, they understand the demands. And it's totally different than working for a vendor. I agree with that for sure. And I tell my team all the time, particularly, I think, being in a global role, I'm like, go be students of the business. 
go to the geos, spend time with their partners, spend time with the partner account managers. Like people are happy to have you engage with them. And the way that you can build effective programs is by understanding the business. So you need to know the challenges in the geo, know what partners are struggling with, know what gets them excited. Like you have to be students of the business because it's, you know, otherwise then you're not creating programs that may be effective with them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was going to ask you guys if you had any tips for listeners, but I think we just got a few. So, <laughs> but I'll give you one last chance. Anything else that we didn't chat about that you wish I brought up either of you or any tips for the listeners? So my tip would be, I would say, you know, sometimes it's a little scary to like embark on doing a new program, but I think sometimes you just have to be willing to sort of put yourself out there and be bold and, you know, not be afraid that, you know, it may not work perfectly the first time out the gate. You just need to try something, right? Because, you know, partners are eager to work with the vendors and, you know, they're trying to grow their business. And to David's point, right, like it's super personal for them because like this is their company. And so, you know, I think sometimes just willing to try a different program and, you know, engage with the partner and be patient with them to kind of go through the process. You can find yourself on the other side of, you know, launching something kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. David, how about you? I think one thing I would say is embrace the long term. And it kind of touches on what, what Trisha said is like get started, but make sure you're in it for the long haul and that your key champions and stakeholders are also in it for the long haul. And just seeing too many programs die very, very early after not getting off to a hot start. So be in it for the long haul, be in it for the long term. And really, you, you want to get away from doing one-off marketing, right? Like that's the alternative. And we, we know that doesn't work. Yeah, no, great advice, David. I and mean, I think that that applies to the channel programs and just channel in general. This is not a sprint. That's what I keep saying. You know, it's an ultra marathon. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Had a fantastic time chatting with you both. I kind of like this doubleheader approach. Might have to do this more often. But thank you so much for joining the program and, and sharing what you guys have been doing. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thank you for having us. It was great to be a part of it. You're welcome. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. All right, guys. That was awesome. A lot of fun and very interesting conversation. Special thanks and shout out to Trisha and David. Thanks again for joining me on this podcast. A ton of great advice on channel marketing and partner engagement here. I really love how Citrix is investing in channel partner and channel manager enablement, like hosting a two-day partner training event with outside third-party marketing professionals. Are any of you doing that? That's a great tip. And the focus on channel manager and enablement and training is so important. You're going to find a lot more tips that I captured from this podcast in the show notes. You can find those at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ35. I've got a brand new website. Go check it out. I've also got some free resources there, including a new course on how to build a SaaS channel. I hope you found this podcast super informative and also a bit of fun. I know I did. And if you did too, please leave a positive rating and review on iTunes or wherever you are listening, and that'll really help me grow the participation and listening of this podcast. I'm taking a summer break. I'm going to take a few weeks off, so we will be back later in September. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, Please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.